also no businessman, and not even a successful business could support his extravagance. In 1933, he went bust. Hitler had already become Chancellor, but it was not the threat of Nazism that chased Oscar's father out of Berlin. Instead, Rubens skipped town a step ahead of his creditors and headed for the French Riviera, where there were casinos with plenty of rich players. The three Zasovskys, father, mother and Oscar, moved to a much more modest two-room apartment in Nice. Oscar's mother, Mira, was, according to her son, vivid, attractive, resourceful and indomitable. She quickly realised that if the family was going to eat, she would need to be the breadwinner. She trained as a milliner and worked from home, copying designs from Vogue magazine and selling her hats to the Russian Jewish community on the Côte d'Azur. It was not exactly lucrative, but it paid the rent and bought the groceries. Reuben did the shopping and cooked some memorably good meals. When he could muster up the stake money from the tiny allowance his family sent him, he gambled. If he won, he bought Oscar a peach melba. If he lost, well, there was always next month's allowance. One room of the apartment housed the parents' bed, a small kitchen, and Mira's work table. Oscar slept on a sofa in the other room, which doubled as a showroom for the hats. Oscar arrived in Nice with barely two words of French, but thanks to a superb teacher, Demoiselle Soubi, the sort of person one should fall on one's knees before, he says, he quickly fitted in. The school building even gave him a brief aftertaste of the luxurious life he had led in Berlin. Called the Imperial Park College, it was an old palace with huge rooms and a giant marble hall. Each room had two balconies, and the students could peer out and watch the King of Sweden playing tennis below them. The Côte d'Azur in the 1930s was a cosmopolitan place, packed with white Russians and other refugees, rich and poor. One of the other students, Paul Franck, taught Oscar French by sitting him down on the slope alongside the college and getting him to recite the irreverent plays and novels of Coutaline. Paul Franck's Jewish father, also Paul Franck, had managed the Olympia Music Hall in Paris, where performers like Mistanguet basked in the spotlight. In Nice, Oskar Ozovsky was surrounded by colourful and sophisticated people, living in a pleasantly sunny and largely tolerant city. Politics were inescapable here, too. In a world polarised between the far-left communists and the far-right fascists, there was plenty to argue about and even demonstrate against. Some teachers of the school were petanists, supporting the Vichy government of unoccupied France, led by Marshal Philippe Pétain. Others were socialists or communists, ready to defend their beliefs with their fists. Oscar's language coach and school friend Paul Franck lost two teeth in a political brawl. Oscar also discovered the Boy Scouts, and they became a passion. He rose to become a troop leader. The overall head of his troop was the aristocratic Jean-Claude Pluntz de Potter, a baron from his father's side, whose petite Jewish mother was born Chalit. Jean-Claude's family's sympathy for the plight of Jews was soon to play a vital role in Oscar's life. So, 
We have a picture of young Oscar, slightly built, wearing spectacles, studious rather than one of the lads, but sharp-witted and street-smart. He spoke three languages fluently, French, German, and Russian. He had known rich, and he now knew poor. He says he was a lazy student, but that did not stop him passing the second and higher stage of his baccalaureate, clearing a path for him to go on to university. The Boy Scouts had taught him a degree of self-discipline, and some of the secrets of survival in the wild. He was now eighteen years old. The year was 1942, and so far life had been safe and fairly uneventful. Then the noose began to tighten. After France's defeat in 1940, the northern half...